Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and thank you for joining us. I know that we are saying some things that are absolutely cutting edge to some of you. Last week we dealt with, and we have been for several weeks, the fifth chapter of Matthew. We have touched the Beatitudes. And what they are, we've already shared with you, is attitudes that you need to be in. They're attitudes that will shift your thinking from an old covenant paradigm to a new covenant paradigm. Uh, when uh, John the Baptist, this whole context that we preached over the last several months is that John the Baptist came and his message was this, you need to shift the way you think. You need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the changing in how you think is what will be able to cause you to receive the kingdom and then to be able to release and minister it. And that's what the Beatitudes are about, is attitudes that will help you receive the kingdom and attitudes that will teach you how to release it and minister it. If you missed any of the stuff we've said, you can go back again to my website, and there's a link directly from my website to our YouTube channel. Our YouTube channel has archived there everything we have shared to date, and you can go back and get caught up in stuff that's laid the groundwork to get us to where we're at uh, in this particular segment. And uh, you can actually uh, subscribe to our YouTube page, and, and then you will be notified every time there's a new program put up. Also, there is a uh, direct connection there, a link to our iTunes, where you can get a podcast with the audio from this portion of the uh, uh, the audio portion of the program. There's also a place there that's a direct link from our website to an RSS feed where you can get it delivered straight to your smartphones and if nothing else can listen to it again and again on your way to work. Uh, what we've been talking about in this segment is we've been talking about again the gospel of the kingdom. John the Baptist preached, change the way you think. The kingdom is at hand. I trust that some of the things that we are sharing are helping you to make that shift. I know that probably some of the concepts we shared, especially last week, were probably pretty revolutionary to some of you because we talked about Matthew, the fifth chapter, where he said, not one jot or one tittle of the law would pass until all was fulfilled. And what we begin to share, share with you last week is, he said, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle of the law will pass to all be fulfilled. And I challenge, and I, I say this especially to those people who are preaching grace, if you do not believe we are living in a new heaven and a new earth, then according to Matthew 5, we are still under law. But I want to tell you that what Jesus was saying to them is, till heaven and earth pass. And I submit to you, if you go back and you look at what we shared last week, the old heaven and the old earth had to do with the Old Covenant. It had to do with Old Covenant Jerusalem. It had to do with the Old Covenant land. It had to do with the Old Covenant people of God because we shared with you how that Isaiah said, all day long I held out my hands to this uh, crooked people and yet they did not receive me. I'm about to be found of them who were not looking for me. That's the context of him talking about he's offered this and that's when he's offering, he's offering them, this is their final offer, literally. Jesus is offering them the kingdom. And, but he's saying to them, you, I, I've stretched out my, days all, my arms all day long to this people. 
And he, uh, and he said, even Romans 10, I believe it is, I quoted to uh, last week where he says, uh, well, did Isaiah the prophet say? Uh, I, I think I probably got it in my notes here somewhere. But uh, anyway, he says, uh, uh, well, did Isaiah the prophet say, hearing they'll hear, yet they'll not hear, and uh, they'll not receive. But I will hold out my hands, in other words, to an, uh, a, a people, uh, and, and they rejected me. But I'm about to be found of them who not, look not for me. I'm about to be found of them who were not seeking for me. That's him offering it to the Gentiles. Then Isaiah 65, the latter part of that chapter, he says, Behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. It's in the context of him offering the kingdom to the nation producing the fruit. It's all through the scripture. Jesus talked about that in one of the parables. He said that, that the kingdom would be taken from them who had it and offered to a nation producing the fruit. We concluded last week by dealing with Galatians, the fourth chapter, where he says that Jerusalem, which now is, the natural descendants is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she is in bondage today with her children. Go read that from the Amplified Bible. I'm not going to go back and read it again today. And then he says, but he says that, that, uh, that the Jerusalem which now is, and he was talking to that first century church at Galatia, is in bondage with her children. And he said, this Mount Sinai in Arabia, this Hagar is Jerusalem. And she's in bondage with her children to this day. But he goes on to say, but us who are born remarkably of a supernatural birth, we are now a part of the Jerusalem which is above. She is our mother. And so an old Jerusalem passed off of the scene and a new Jerusalem has come on the scene. It is the community of faith. It is the people who are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being chief cornerstone. It is the city set on a hill that Matthew 5 was talking about that cannot be hid. It is the new covenant people of God because Peter declares to the church or the people he is talking to just a few years before Jerusalem is destroyed, Peter says, these things are about to be dissolved. The heavens are about to pass away with a great noise, and the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. But because we think in terms of cosmic instead of covenantal, we think he's talking about the stars out here and the heavens out here and the planet blowing up. Well, there's going to be a lot of difficulty with that when you begin to read Scripture where he said, to him be glory in the churches throughout all ages, world without end. That as long as the earth remains, there'll be seed time and harvest. And, and in other words, that, that the, the planet is not passing off of the scene. What was passing off of the scene, what was about to melt with the fervent heat, was an old covenant. Judgment was, a began, was about to begin at the house of God in AD 70, and this whole system was about to melt with a fervent heat. And I showed you how that this word elements melt with a fervent heat is the word that is translated as stoichion. It's the Greek word stoichion. And it's translated in Galatians 4 and in Colossians 2 to describe the law of Moses. He said, how do you desire, Galatians, to go back up under the wheel? and beggarly, watch this word, elements, whereunto you desire to be in bondage. The elements that melted was the old covenant paradigm, and with that a new heaven and a new earth came on the scene wherein dwells righteousness. And then he goes on down and begins to tell them, if you are still standing uh, in, in, in this old covenant, 
Because what's happening is Jesus is teaching this and a transitionary period as he's introducing the kingdom, uh, one is fading away and the other is coming on the scene. It's almost an overlap of two governments and that's why they're preaching, repent, the kingdom's at hand. But he begins to say to them, accept your righteousness. Verse 20, let me just skip to this. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no, wise enter, by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother Rekha shall be in the danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hands you over to the officer and you be thrown into prisons. Surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. And you have heard it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery within, with, with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. And if their right eye causes you to sin, cut it off. And uh, uh, or your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And then Jesus begins to deal with some of these things. Now let me, uh, uh, there's a, you know, he talks about loving your enemies. He talks about then, you know, uh, if, if, if uh, somebody sues you and takes your cloak, give them your coat also and go the extra mile. And then he ends this text let me just cut through and say this. Verse 48, here's the final verse of Matthew 5. Therefore, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, let me just deal with this. Jesus says, except your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. You will in no wise, I believe it is, I think it says, inherit the kingdom of God. If, you, if your righteousness does not exceed, the fact, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. There is a righteousness that exceeds. Now I want you to think again. We must always begin to look at audience relevance. Jesus is talking to a first century audience who are still under law. He is offering them the new covenant. He is offering them the kingdom. The transition here to me is the contrast of that. What we think happens is that we think Jesus is actually upping the ante of what it takes. Like it's bad enough that we couldn't keep the law. Now we got to keep, uh, you know, I mean, he just makes it almost impossible. Now there's a reason for that. Now watch this. He said, except your righteousness exceeds that of scribes and Pharisees, you will not wise enter the kingdom. Now remember that in the minds of this first century Jewish audience, they would think it would be almost, it would be almost like saying to a Catholic, except your righteousness exceeds that of the Pope. 
you will in no wise enter the kingdom. And so these holy dudes, I call them holy dudes, these Pharisees are going, yeah, except you're as righteous as I am, you're not going to make it in. But Jesus doesn't just leave it with the holy dudes. He turns on these Pharisees and scribes and says to them, you've got to have a righteousness that exceeds. Then he turns on them, and, and let me just describe this to you. It is almost as if it's like to the normal guy standing here, a righteousness that exceeds these holy dudes. I mean, I could have done it if it would have been maybe somebody else, but you've got to have a righteousness that exceeds that. It puts it out of the reach of the common guy. And then Jesus turns around, and we've used these scriptures to beat people up, but I really believe that there's a purpose for it. Jesus begins to say to them, listen, I say to you, if you, uh, you're, it says, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, if you hate your brother without a cause, you're a killer. So here he is now, he's saying, you've got to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And he turns around and says, you, you know, you've heard it said of old that whoever murders, you know, is in danger of judgment. But I say to you, if you hate your brother. So he ups the ante and he turns it and he's not just talking to the common people, but even the scribes, Pharisees, the holy dudes. He said to them, listen, and these holy dudes are going, man, I've never murdered anybody, but I sure have had hatred in my heart. So Jesus is upping the ante because it's not only disqualifying the common people, it is disqualifying the holy dudes. He not only does that, but he goes down and says, not just about hating your brother. He says, your law says, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. And I could see these holy dudes going, oh God, I have become a professional at acting like I didn't notice that good-looking woman. Because what happens is Jesus is not just dealing with performance. He's dealing with heart issues. Now, let me just set, set, set this up for you. See, what we don't understand is the law is good if a man uses it lawfully. That's what Jesus said. Or I think that's what Paul said to Timothy. The law is good. I'm sorry, Jesus didn't say that. Paul did. He said the law is good if a man uses it lawfully. But the law is not for the righteous. It's for the sinner and the ungodly. Now remember, in the new covenant, we've already taught you that there is a righteousness that does exceed that of scribes and Pharisees. And it's a righteousness that's not based on performance. It's based on a gift. Because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life. So the, the righteousness we have is the one that comes as a result of the fact that he that knew no sin, he who did absolutely nothing wrong, was made to be sin for us. So that I could be made, I did absolutely nothing right. But I was made righteous with the same made. He was made sin. I was made righteous. What an incredible exchange. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is the righteousness that exceeds this performance righteousness. Now, let me just let me deal with this some more. Because what Jesus is doing here is he's using the law for what it was for. Now, when Paul wrote that to Timothy, he said the law is good if a man uses it lawfully. But he said that the law was given not for the righteous, but for the sinner. And the purpose of the law 
is so that every mouth would be stopped, Romans 3, and all the world would become guilty before God. So the law is to conclude all under sin so he can have mercy on all. In other words, Jesus is the only one who is not preaching the law watered down or modified to fit these Pharisees. Jesus is preaching the law unwatered down for the purpose of what it's supposed to be to conclude all under sin that the end of the law is there is none righteous, no, not every, not, not one, so that every mouth, including the scribes, the Pharisees, the holy dudes, the regular people, every mouth has been stopped and all the world will become guilty. And at that point, you will realize that what the law was designed for is to bring you to Christ and you'll realize I need a savior. And when you realize I need a savior, then you receive a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Because he goes down here, just to show you, he's preaching the law pure. Right, right behind the whole, uh, if you look on a woman to lust after you committed adultery. And I submit to you, he's not just talking to men here. He's talking to women also, anybody. What he's doing is talking to everybody and everybody that's, that's included in this disqualification under the law is that nobody makes it. But then he comes down in the next verse that said, right under the whole lust scripture, he said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out and cast it from you. If your hand offends you, cut that bad boy off. And people, what we do right there is we switch gears and we've used the other two scriptures to beat everybody up that might be struggling in one of those areas, maybe with unforgiveness or with lust. And we've, we've disqualified them. But right below that, we come and say, if your eye offends you, poke it out. And what we do is we try to spiritualize that. We say, oh, no, Jesus, you know, he means, you know, uh, he, he doesn't really mean poke your eye out. No, he's giving them the law. And he said, under the law, what you do is poke eyes out and you chop hands off. Let me just give you this example. I was in Peculiar, Missouri a number of years ago uh, at Joyful Sound Worship Center. Pastor Mike Cronk, if you're in that area, you ought to go visit his church. But I was preaching there and uh, I, I had this guy with me, traveled with me. And, uh, and I said to him, I want you to come help me run a prayer line. He said, okay. And so I said, you got any pen? He said, yeah. I said, come up here. And he said, what do you want me to do? I said, I'm going to sing just as I am with that one plea because I'm going to preach this like Jesus did. And if your eye is offending you, or if you've ever struggled with lust, get in his line. He's going to poke your eye out. And so I got him standing here with an ink pen, and ain't nobody getting in his line. Thank God. <laughs> I had somebody else go to the, um, you know, to the uh, kitchen and bring me a, a knife or a, a meat cleaver. And I said, Jesus said, if your hand offends you, cut that bad boy off. See, these are stuff that was under the law of Moses. You cut off hands, and you literally poked eyes out. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a I mean, they literally chopped hands off. They chopped off body parts. But see, that could not deal with the heart. It could deal with what you were doing, but it never... See, the new covenant deals with your heart. And then the last thing I did that really was the nail in the coffin is I said, I need one more volunteer. And uh, I said, I need one more knife. And so we, one of the ladies in the, in the, in the uh, uh, congregation said, Dr. Howes, I've got a knife. I'll let you borrow and it was just a little small, uh, you know, like a Swiss Army knife. But I said, I need one more volunteer. And this older man in the back, he said, Dr. House, I'll help you. I'll, I'll volunteer. Now, remember, I got an eye poking line, a hand chopping line. And so he said, I'll help you, Dr. House. I said, uh, he said, but he pulled out of his hip pocket what looked like a crocodile Dundee knife. <laughs> and he said, that's not a knife. This is a knife. I said, well, I said, you're going to run my circumcision line because if you're going to keep the law, you have to be circumcised. 
Let me tell you, when I got to the circumcision line, everybody in the house was like, Brother House, we're not under the law. And to which I reply, mission accomplished. That's the whole point here. Jesus is trying to conclude all under sin so he can have mercy on all. All the world has got to become guilty before God to realize we need a Savior. And as you perfectly could tell, there wasn't nobody getting their eye poked out, their hand chopped off, or getting in my circumcision line. If I had run a prophecy line or a prosperity line or a healing line, I'd have been there all night. But when you see, Jesus was preaching the law, and the reason he was preaching the law on this level in Matthew 5 is to show you the futileness of man's efforts to try to be righteous and justified based on the works of the law. And if that's not good enough for you, the last verse of this chapter, I've seen Sunday school classes erupt almost in a fight over this last verse because he said, but be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Because what he is saying here is that if you're going to uh, have a righteousness that exceeds and it's going to be based on the law, guess what? Nobody makes it in. But he ups the ante. He doesn't just say, do your best, try harder. Redouble your efforts. He said, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And upon that thought, uh, then the Lord began to take me to Hebrews, uh, I believe it is the ninth chapter. I'll go over here and read this for you because this is so powerful to me. But Hebrews, uh, I'm sorry, it's Hebrews, the 10th chapter. It goes on to say here in verse 5, uh, this is Hebrews 10. Let me just read. I, I think I got time to do all of this verse. It says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, not the very image of the things, can never with these sacrifices, which they offered year, continue year by year, make the, the, the comers to their unto perfect. In other words, the sacrifices, nobody meets the criteria of perfection under the law. And that's what he's saying here, even in the 10th chapter. He says, they, they, were, they were not able to make you perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers once purged should have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Therefore when he came into the world he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that's the first covenant, that he might establish the second, that's the new covenant. By the which will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now in verse number 10, he tells us that we are sanctified not on the basis of our performance, but on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus, and he has sanctified and, and once for all on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus. The blood of bulls and goats could not sanctify you. But watch this. And every priest stands, ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins 
forever sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, watch this, for by one offering he has perfected forever them who are sanctified. Hallelujah. So our sanctification and our perfection is not based on our performance. So the demand of Matthew 5, to be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, is handed to us as a gift through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ because he has sanctified and, watch this, perfected forever them that are sanctified. How did you get sanctified? On the basis of an offering. How did you get perfected? On the basis of an offering. See, I'm not working in the new covenant to get salvation. I'm working out of salvation. I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. I already got it, man. Hallelujah. To me, I think this incredibly, this is a mind-shifting paradigm that Matthew 5 is all about. He's saying to them, be ye therefore perfect. And everything he's required up until that point with plucking eyes out, chopping hands off, is all through the whole Old Testament. Nobody ever met the criteria of perfection that God was looking for or that he would accept. Except that Jesus, as he begins to teach this, and begins to shift their thinking from performance perfection to sacrifice-based perfection, then we meet the criteria. And if we meet the criteria, and what I love about this is, this is not volatile, it is forever. He has sanctified and perfected forever them that are sanctified. And we get sanctified on the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. What a better covenant, man. Now, what are you saying, brother? I'm saying that then when God goes to work in our hearts, he begins to change what we do. Yes, there is a change in our performance, but it's not based on rules. If rules could have done it, then I'm telling you, they had all the rules they could get under the old covenant. I know we still got a movement right now that thinks if we could legislate enough morality in America, we could change things. Listen, if, if passing laws could do it, the law of Moses had it plenty good. It's not passing laws that produces morality. It's the Holy Spirit living His life in and through you. And that's why Jesus started this out by saying, you're blessed if you're poor in spirit, because yours is the kingdom of God. In other words, once you realize the spiritual deficit you are in and your ability to do this based on your human performance is totally bankrupt, you have become hungry for righteousness you have discarded the old covenant righteousness and the thirst for new covenant righteousness has been filled. Your deficit being poor in spirit has been satisfied by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Your mourning days are over. Now it's time to rejoice. He's came to appoint them that mourn in Zion, the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It ought to make a praise begin to flow out from you. That's how you receive the kingdom. And the kingdom is another form of government. When you shift your attitude, another form of government begins to take place in your life and the Holy Spirit begins to govern you from the inside out. This has been a tremendous series. We may pick up, I don't know, the next time in Matthew 6 and deal with some things there. But you've been a blessing. Listen, take a moment 
book to write to us, call the number on that screen, sow a seed into the ministry, or go to our website. Uh, you can go to our website and give via credit card. It's very simple to do that. There's a link there where you can give a gift. Sign up for our Message of the Month Club. Become a partner with us today to help us take the gospel around the world. And be sure to let us know what network you are watching when you write to us or you send an email or you call that number on the screen. But there's somebody also standing by to take your calls if you'd like to give right now uh, as the Lord moves on your heart to give via credit card, debit card, or however you want to, you could call that number on the screen. Thank you for joining in. Share this with your friends and neighbors. God bless you. Tune in again next week. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.